Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Theories on the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's been described by some as the most revolutionary thing that Jesus said. One pastor called them laser-guided bullets, um, which when you stop and think about it, actually there's something uh, to that, I think. Mocked by some, mimicked by others, seen merely as an instruction manual for life or some kind of spiritual ladder that we need to climb. Take them, leave them, doesn't really matter, uh, some individuals would say. Thing is, as we read the Beatitudes, as we consider the words of Jesus, these aren't just platitudes that were put out there to kind of end up on t-shirts or note cards or bumper stickers. Um, something nice that just kind of rings in your, your head from time to time and you can throw out an offer uh, to people. No, Jesus from the off is, is swinging big. This isn't some kind of warm-up act that he's slowly getting into. I don't know if you've ever followed uh, the careers of you know, musicians or comedians. And they often start out quite small, don't they? They'll do a few minor gigs uh, with just, you know, maybe those that, that know them already, those that, that like what they're going to say. And slowly the events will, will build over time. Um, one day hopefully arriving, whether it's kind of Wembley or the O2 or the Royal Albert Hall or, I don't know, the London Palladium. And it's at that point that they hit their peak and their material is its best and they've honed it and everyone loves them and it's just amazing. Jesus wasn't like that. He knew why he was here on earth. And so he wasn't just kind of slowly getting into uh, his patter. He wasn't just kind of testing his material as he went along. And then if it kind of went down well, um, was palatable to those listening, you go, well, I'll keep that one in there. Yeah, uh, that's good. Um, that got the right kind of response. No, it's, it's none of that. From the very beginning, we read uh, in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 17 of Matthew, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in many ways, that verse is the springboard for Jesus' ministry. 
this heart that he brings to seek to to challenge all who who hear his words that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and paraphrasing where do you stand um at this moment where do you find yourselves uh, in relation to it when we encounter jesus on the hillside as we read in Matthew the the Sermon of the Mount uh, as we will uh, and Matthew chapter 5 particularly we're going to be thinking about the Beatitudes over the coming weeks this is as I said no warm-up act I had the image uh, preparing this week it's more I think uh, like a sprinter who from the moment the gun goes off um, they are out of those brocks and they are heading for the destination. They are heading for that finish line. In the same way, uh, that's what Jesus is doing here. He, communicating the message he has come to bring. The message that was just as important and relevant that first moment on that hill back then as it is today for us. Of all the different things that I've read um, exploring these verses and their their meanings and their applications. I read uh, in one book by a guy called Stu Garrard, Words from the Hill, an invitation to the unexpected. He said this, he said, what does it look like for these announcements to come alive? What does it mean for them to come alive? What does it mean, in many ways, I suppose, for us to consider these words of Jesus and go, what difference are they actually going to make in my life? What difference should they be making in the person that I am? Or am I just going to kind of read them again as niceties and then move on? What does it mean for them to challenge us? What does it mean for them to, to change us? To actually be willing for them to totally transform us? So that in you know a few weeks' time, almost, as we work through these, they've actually gripped a hold of us in a way that well, we weren't maybe expecting, but actually is something of what God longs for us. So that as an individual, I have been transformed. And hopefully by uh, the nature of it, as a community, uh, likewise. What does it mean for these announcements to come alive? And so as I've been exploring these, I was reminded of that moment. I don't know if you've ever been to a conference and they have the seminar streams and you turn up at a room um, and you, you find your seat, you get your notebook out if you're that kind of person. Uh, you maybe chat to the person next to you again if that's your thing or you don't, if likewise that's not your thing. Um, and the person stands up to speak and they give this kind of introduction saying, this is the seminar you're here for. If this isn't the one you're here for, you can leave now and go to find the one that you are looking for. And you have this moment where you can choose to get up and get out without kind of 10 minutes in, then realising, ah, this isn't the place I want to be, and I've then got to awkwardly try and get along this row that's got 10 people in it who are really engaged. And it was something of that that came to me as we begin to explore these passages. It's very easy um, to sit and to listen as the preacher goes on, to slightly doze off, um, to look engaged, but really be thinking about something else. Um, or so I've been told it is. Um, but in all seriousness, I think these verses need to come with a health warning. And if we're seriously going to grapple with them over the coming weeks and say, okay, God, what difference can they make to me? Then we need to realize that we are inviting God to move by his spirit in and through us. And that's going to have an impact. 
So I want to pause and I just want to pray. And I want to just take a moment before we continue exploring uh, these words from the hill. Let us pray. Lord, your word is, is mighty, it's powerful, and it's true. And it's by, it's by your word that you brought creation into being. And so as we consider these words, we, we invite you to come and to shake our worlds, Lord. To take us as we are and we pray, transform us by your grace. May you grant us the strength that we need to go the distance to follow you wherever you may lead us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus went up the mountainside. We read at the start of chapter 5. And he goes up um, with his disciples and there's a crowd who have gathered him. Some would suggest actually that the, the Sermon on the Mount is a passage that actually takes place over a number of days. Um, as more and more would have come to hear what he's uh, saying. And the traditional location for the Beatitudes is on the northern shores of the Seas of Galilee, between Capernaum and the archaeological site of Gennesaret. And it's on the southern slopes of the Chorazin Plateau. Uh, many of you, I, I don't know, have maybe been there uh, and experienced going on, on that place. Um, I discovered a little bit of trivia for you this week, um, just to add into it. You may or may not know this. Um, but the hill is a, actually at negative altitude. That may not come as a surprise to you. Um, but it's 25 metres below sea level. 200 metres above the Sea of Galilee. So apparently it's one of the lowest summits in the world. There you go. Uh, something just to tuck away there when you're next playing Trivial Pursuit. Um, may or may not be the answer for you. I've had the privilege of travelling to the Holy Land uh, twice so, so far. Uh, I'm going again in March um, and again in leading the team in the summer. And of all the places that we visited, visiting the Mount uh, of the Beatitudes um, is a very special place um, and it's one that as you just kind of sit and you, you look over the Sea of Galilee whether that's the right spot exactly where Jesus stood up uh, and said the words that we read in Matthew chapter 5 to some extent I don't think it actually matters what's so powerful though is sitting on, on some of those rocks as I sat there I knew for certain that it can't have been far. That that was the place, that was the area where Jesus lived. This isn't just some storybook um, fable or, or what sort that's been made up by someone. No, this actually happened. Uh, and sitting there and just kind of taking it all in. I remember a, a friend of mine who I was in a conversation with, um, messaging while I was there the first time. Uh, at the end of the conversation we, we'd had, um, he, he said, go back to walking in Jesus' dirt. And I love the idea that actually we can go to these places uh, where he would have been, where he would have said these things. Now, along with uh, Matthew, Luke also records... Uh, the Beatitudes. There are four in Luke 6, verse 20 to 22. There's some similarities, um, but there's also some differences. And Luke also takes the, the four Beatitudes and then follows them up with four woes. 
thinking by many is that actually it's uh, unlikely that these are two accounts of the same moment. But potentially, actually, this is something of Jesus' message that he would have used in, in different places, which would make a lot of sense if this is the heart of his message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, um, for him to actually repeat it rather than kind of say it in one place and go, great, if you were there, then you're in. Um, But if you missed that occasion, you've kind of, well, missed out, really. No, this is the heart of why he came to earth. And the word blessed translate roughly as being fortunate or happy. And, And yes, they bring out something of the joy that I think Jesus is seeking to communicate here. But it misses almost entirely, I think, the the power um, uh, and the full content of what Jesus is actually seeking to get across. Uh, the commentator, Eugene Boring, uh, which I think is just a brilliant surname for a commentator, said, uh, this is not practical advice for successful living. These are prophetic declarations made on the conviction of the coming and already present kingdom of God. You know, the f- first, apart from the first and the last, they begin in the present tense, but they move to the future tense. These uh, are words that should have an impact in terms of those listening back then, just as much for us now. I'm sure over the the coming weeks more will be said in terms of the wider context. Um, there's, there's a lot kind of you can feed in in terms of this moment and painting a picture of the scene, if you will. I want to move on, though, just to think this morning uh, about the first one in chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the NIV. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With lefts of you, there is more of God and his rule. That's uh, the message. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Uh, that's the Amplified. And then uh, the New Living Translation says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Key distinction, if you were to flick between Matthew and Luke, uh, in terms of this first one, are the words in spirit. In Luke, it's blessed are the poor. Here, uh, Matthew uh, has these two extra words. And I don't believe this is talking about being mean-spirited. Um, just in case there's anyone who kind of gets that idea. This isn't, you know, kind of your Scrooge-type character. That's something that's being uh, commended here. Neither does it mean that there's a lack of care for those who are physically poor. I don't think Jesus is suggesting that on this occasion. Um, His actions definitely show uh, the opposite throughout his ministry. Neither, I think, is Matthew trying to pick up that. Rather that the poverty isn't the main thing. And we're thinking about physical poverty here. That's not the heart um, of what is being communicated. Carson says poverty can, though, be turned to advantage if it fosters humility before God. Recognizing that actually we can't, you know, maybe uh, solve things in our own right. We are, uh, have nothing. And, and not to say that, that poverty is a good thing, just in case anyone mishears what I'm saying there or quoting. But rather that actually it's recognizing what's the most important thing. 
and recognizing the, the balance, if you will, between us and God. What Jesus is saying here is those with no spiritual resources of their own. Those who recognize they have nothing to bring before God. They are blessed. Those who are, as Leon Morris put it, completely destitute in the realm of the Spirit. That by our own right, by our own making, there is nothing we can bring uh, to this party. We are totally dependent on God. And in many ways, this is the, the opposite of the, the Pharisees uh, and the religious leaders who would take pride in their virtue, in their standing, in terms of who they are and what they'd become and their position. Now, Jesus is talking much more kind of about those who model the words of Isaiah 66 to there. Those, this is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my words. Those who recognize their complete need for God. That real need for him. For those for whom whom it is it is a matter of life and death. There's nothing else, actually, that is really of importance when it comes to it. One writer put it, acknowledging our spiritual bankruptcy. Again, we are, you know, there's nothing we can put forward here. Recognizing that actually we are uh, completely uh, bare. Because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus goes on. Reminder that heaven is not something that we enter by, by merit. It's not something we can earn. It's not something that if we put enough hours in, then we're there. If we go on enough rotors, um, we can kind of circumnavigate it uh, and get in. Or if we smile enough to everyone we ever see, you know, none of that. It's by God's grace that that is offered to us. That that opportunity is before us. And those listening on the hill that day, they, they wouldn't... I don't think would have expected Jesus' words. They maybe would have expected something along the lines of, well, you're of the line of Abraham, yours is the kingdom of God. You know, because of your, uh, you know, your family, your lineage, because of where you've come from, no, this is what you deserve. Your name is certainly on the list, so to speak. Please, come in, welcome, yes. Find your seat right at the front. You haven't got to, to look for one. One is reserved for you. Now, Jesus throws something of a, a grenade in, if you will, and says, you know, those of you who have nothing to offer, when you recognize your state in that regard, those who are totally dependent on my love, my grace, uh, the mercy of the Father, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Think about it. Becoming poor in spirit very much goes against the, the grain of our self-affirming culture. This idea, um, whether it's parents, whether it's teachers, whether it's advertisers, but all who in different ways, and maybe for very good reasons sometimes, seek to tell us how great we are and how much we can accomplish, if only you put your mind to it, 
how much you can achieve, um, how far you can go, um, and almost, you know, you haven't got to worry about anyone else. No, you go get it, because the potential is within you. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And as I've been reflecting on this beatitude, I wonder whether sometimes, sometimes I think I've got it all together. Sometimes I think I've actually done enough when the reality is that will never be the case. We were celebrating a, a family uh, birthday yesterday, uh, my nephews. Um, it's really interesting seeing children grow and develop. Um, and if you think of a baby, you think of a, a toddler, they, they need that care, that love, that attention. Um, and then slowly as they, they grow, they can do more and more for themselves. And hopefully, uh, potentially they become dependent in their own right one day. And that's, that's not always the case for everyone. But there's that sense uh, that for many they will grow and no longer need their parents to do all the things they did for them um, when they were little. Our dependence upon God is something that will never change. However much sometimes we might think we've moved beyond needing him, or certainly as much uh, as we once did, or maybe certainly more than others need him, because we've kind of got it together. We've got it sorted. Stu Garrard said this, he said, God is on the side of everybody for whom there's no reason why God should be on their side. If it wasn't for his grace, if it wasn't for his love, if it wasn't for his mercy and his willingness to offer us everything. I can't speak for you, but I ask the question of myself, is there some of this that that I need to own afresh? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they is the kingdom of heaven. Let's be still and let's pray. Father, by your Holy Spirit now, will you come and will you minister amongst us, Lord? Will you take the things that you have been prompting us with, you have been saying to us throughout our time this morning and as we've considered your word? For those who said amen earlier with that desire to open themselves up to you open up uh, the potential of all you're going to do Lord I pray uh, that by your spirit you will be moving now Lord for that prompt of what it means to give ourselves completely over to you I thank you God that you are a gracious God I believe takes us wherever we find ourselves and is willing to move forward with us. And I pray, Lord, that you will do that this morning. I pray that we will have the humility to lay ourselves bare before you so we can receive all that you have. In your name we pray. Amen.